This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Today we have a special class and it's on Parshat Yitro. Uh, Jethro, you know, once I had, uh, 40 years ago when I went to get my visa to go to America, to go for a job interview in America, I was here in Israel, I was in Yeshiva, and I go to the American embassy. And the American embassy in those days had real Americans uh, greeting you. You know what I mean? Today it's all workers, they're not American, they're, they're local people. In those days, the real, you go, you want to get a visa, you speak, speak to a real American, a real American gentleman, probably from the Bible Belt. And he said, why do you want a visa? I said, I'm going for a job interview. He says, what do you do? I said, I'm a rabbi. He said, you're a rabbi? Okay, let me ask you some questions. Now, this is very highly unusual, right? You have this guy in the, in the consul in the, in the American embassy over here asking me questions. And one of the questions he asked me was, who was the father-in-law of, of Moses? Who was Moses' father-in-law? Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law. And I said, Jethro. And he said, you must be a rabbi. No one knows the answer to that question. <laughs> so that was my test to get my American visa. I don't know if that's good or bad. Anyway, but it's interesting. No one knows about this guy. Yitro. Yitro has the best parasha in the Torah. I think one of the best parasha in the Torah named after him. Can you imagine? So who was Yitro? We have to discuss this. And uh, But first, I want to talk about Gerut in general. He was a Ger. He was a convert to Israel, to, to Jews. And his descendants were famous. Uh, Yael, Eshidakini. And Yael was the one who uh, bumped off Sisera for us. And she was one of his descendants, married to one of his descendants. Descendants were famous people who were in the Sanhedrin, the Sadiqim, the real Sadiqim. Yitro's descendants were Sadiqim. And Yitro was a convert, so I want to talk a bit about conversion, what's entailed, and the truth is that why is the Ten Commandments in Parsha Yitro? Why are the Ten Sayings, not say Ten Commandments, Ten Sayings in Parsha Yitro? And the answer is because Yitro was a convert and we all converted. At Har Sinai, you have to remember, we are all converts. At Har Sinai, all the Jews became Jews. When did we become Jews? At Mount Sinai. We all became Jews at Mount Sinai. Yeah, it's interesting because we know that Abraham and Sarah, they made converts. It says all the people they made in Haran. Abraham and Sarah were making converts in Haran. And two of the most famous converts they made, in fact, the only ones whose names we know, is number one is Hagar. Hagar was the princess of Egypt who came back from Egypt with Sarah. She saw Sarah and she saw Abraham. And it says Pharaoh encouraged her to become a convert to follow the ways of Abraham and Sarah. Amazing. She was the first, one of the big converts uh, to Judaism, Hagar. And from her, we have Ishmael. Fortunately or unfortunately, we have Ishmael. And uh, we have also Eliezer. Eliezer was the other major convert we know about. Eliezer was the, the trusted servant of Abraham. Eliezer was the one who went to find a wife for Yitzhak, for Isaac. And so Eliezer. So those two main converts we know about, in the time of Abraham, even though it says Abraham and Sarah made many converts. They made thousands and thousands of converts, but nothing remained. All these early converts disappeared. But we have on the scene now in Parsha Yitro, we have the famous Yitro, but there's other converts as well. I want to talk about this. No one talks about them. The Erev Rav. We have the Erev Rav. Who is the Erev Rav? So it's interesting because it's brought down the Zohar. This is brought down the Zohar in uh, Shabbat Yudbet. The Torah says, The Erev Rav also came out of Egypt with them. So Rashi explains over there, There's a whole uh, 
uh, all different nations of converts came to join Israel when they came out of Egypt. This is not so well known. Or the, the Rav Avadia, uh, Rav, the Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra says they were Manshe Mitzrayim. They were from the people of Egypt. Who mixed with them. And they also call the Asafsuf. The Torah calls them the Arab Rav, or it calls them the Asafsuf, the mixtures. And, and these are the people who made the Egel. We're going to talk about hopefully uh, next week, Pasha uh, Kitisa, week after. Uh, the Egel, Masa Egel, which is the golden calf. Who made the golden calf? So here we have, uh, it says, it says, Arba'im uh, Elef Gerim. 40,000 converts that came out of his, uh, Egypt with Israel, and they gathered on Aaron, Aaron, the Erev Rav, the Asaf Suf. These converts that came out of Egypt, there were 40,000 of them. And they're the ones who said to the golden calf, these are your gods, Israel. So the Jews themselves, the, the, the B'nai Israel, the sons of Jacob and their descendants, did not worship the golden calf. It was the Erev Rav, these mixed multitudes who came out of Egypt with them. And they encouraged the Jews to worship the golden calf. Okay, so it's interesting. And that's why later on we're going to see it. Hashem says to Moshe, he says, get down from your greatness. The people you brought out of Egypt have sinned. Who are the people that Moshe brought out of Egypt? The Arab Rav. Hashem did not want Moses to bring these people out of Egypt. Hashem did not feel they were ready to become converted. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, they want to be Jews. They see your greatness. I'm going to bring them out of Egypt. So it's interesting because there was a tremendous discussion between God and Moses. We're going to talk about it a little bit more in detail. Tremendous discussion between God and Moshe. Uh, should they bring the Arab out of Adam Egypt? And Hashem says, don't bring them out. They're not ready. I'm going to, I see in the future they're going to do bad things that they did. They made the golden calf. Moshe Rabbeinu insisted, if they want to be Jewish, why should we deprive them? That's our mission in the world. Our mission in the world is to be all Agoyim, as Yishayahu and Abi Isaiah the prophet says. We want to be a light to the nations. How we are like to the nations, people want to be Jewish, and we have to help them. So that's a big discussion between God and Moshe. God says they're not ready. Moshe says they're ready. Bring them out of Egypt. So Moshe took them out of Egypt. Anyway, so Hashem blames Moshe later on at the, at the sin of the egg, the sin of the golden calf. He says, you brought them out. Take you, you go down from your greatness. The people that you brought out have sinned. So it's an interesting parasha. Uh, it's all about conversion, really. This whole parasha is about conversion. It's about the conversion of Yitro, which we're going to talk about. It's a conversion of all the Jewish people, including also the Arab Rav. We're going to talk about. So there's different kinds of conversions, different kinds of, are they honest conversions, real conversions, or are they fake conversions? Uh, conversions because, you know, I'm just excited right now, and I see people come and go, you know, everything about coming and go. Today's society is very, very fluffy. People believe in this one day, people believe in that one day. You see all these, uh, all the show, uh, showtime people, you know, one day they're Christian, one day they're Jewish, one day they're Muslim, one day they're this, you can't rely on anything. Everything is fly by night. There's different kinds of people. But it's interesting because the Ten Commandments are dedicated to this man, Yitro. They're in the parasha of Yitro. Yitro was a great man. He was, he was one of the greatest Sadiqim, of the greatest righteous people ever. Yitro was one of the greatest righteous people ever, who happened to be Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law. Yitro, Jethro, was Moses' father-in-law. 
And this is the parasha that's uh, going to talk about Yitro, the parasha episode 10, sayings that changed the world in his parasha, in the parasha named after Yitro. And what's interesting is Yitro could very well have been in the parasha prior. It should have been at the end of parasha Bishara. It's is a three-way debate in the Talmud, in Menachot, which is interesting. Three-way debate we're going to talk about. Okay, let's, let's continue a little bit about Erev Rav. Why did the Erev Rav join Israel? Why did the Erev Rav join Israel? Zora Kadosh, in Pasha Kitisa, where the sin of the Golden Calf is, says, when they saw the miracles and the wonders that Moses did in Egypt, they came to Moses, please, Moshe, Moshe, we want to be Jewish. We want to be part of Israel. We see these wonders and miracles. Can we join? We want to join with you. Hashem said to Moshe, don't accept them. And Moshe said, Ribbon Ha'olam, said, Master of the Universe, since they saw your greatness, they want to convert. Because they saw your greatness. And I want you, I want you to show them your greatness every single day. And to show them that there's no other God but you. And Moshe Rabbeinu accepted them. It's interesting. That's what the Zohar says. Hashem says, don't accept them. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I want them to realize your greatness. That's our mission of the world, to, re- to help people realize God's greatness. The Midrash says, a little bit of a difference in the account. God says to Moses, he said to Moses, I told you, don't mix, don't mix them, don't bring them out. Don't bring out the air of wrath. You're the one who said to me, we always accept penitence. Hashem, you always accept penitence. You always want to accept people who want to be close to you. And I know, and Hashem says, I know what they're going to do. Don't take them. And uh, you just did what you wanted, Moshe. Hashem says to Moshe. And they also did, the, they made the golden calf. So it's an interesting discussion that Hashem and Moshe had a discussion. And Moshe didn't listen to God. It's interesting, very strange situation. And Moshe did not listen to God. Why? Moshe was all about bringing people closer to God. More than Hashem was interested, well, not really. But Hashem knew the future. Hashem knew what's going to happen. So Hashem was not so keen on these guys who are fly-by-nights. Moshe says, they want to get closer to you. I want to bring them closer to you. And Hashem said, they're not ready for it. They're not, they're, not, they're not ready. You have to be ready to become converted. You have to be ready. You have to study. It's at least a two-year. It's a hard climb to be a Jew. It's a hard climb to be a Jew. You can't start from nothing and just happen to turn into a Jew overnight. It's not, it doesn't work like that. You, there's, no, there's no holy water to sprinkle in Judaism. It's a hard trek. You have to start learning about the mitzvot, start accepting the mitzvot. But at that time, there were no mitzvot. Even the Jews had no mitzvot. They were, all, they were all theoretical mitzvot that they kept through tradition from their forefathers. But they never had real mitzvot until Matan Torah. So, Hamisha, Mineh, Erev, Rav, Yesh, Mishraim. So the, the Zohar says, Actually, it's, made, it's brought down by the Grah. The one that says there are five types of Arab Rav in Israel. There are people who love fights. There are people who like to speak Lashon evil speech. There are people who have tremendous desire. And there are people who are just hypocritical. These are Arab Rav. These are the types of Arab Rav they are. And the ones who like Machloket, like fighting, they're the worst. They're the worst. They're, they are the worst because they cause fights among the Jews. And so the Vodagon says that the Mashiach will not come until we are separated from the Arab Rav. This is, this is wild stuff. It's very dangerous stuff as well. Okay. A person should not come along and say, you know, you are a part of the Arab Rav. You're not real Jew. You're part of the Arab Rav. 
wrong. Who knows what's going to happen? We have hope. Every single Jew can do Teshuvah. And who are we to decide who's who? Okay. So, who was the best kind of convert that ever came to us? And the answer is, the prototype of a convert is Yitro, Jethro. Yitro was uh, the prototype of all the converts. And the whole parasha, as we mentioned, is, that's where name is Yitro, yet, yet there, extra. A parasha was created for him, an extra parasha for him was created. The parasha, one of the most important parashiot um, in our Torah, which is the Ten Sayings, that changed the world. He was the one, and, uh, you know, uh, the Jews are doing the will of God, and he, he wants to do the will of God, and he came and he clung to the Jews. So Yitro was the prototype of the, the best quality gear there ever was, the best quality gear. Yitro was a man of truth. The rabbi said, Yitro was a priest of idolatry. You have to understand this. Yitro was a priest of idolatry, and he saw that idolatry has no substance. Imagine, you make your own God, and you carry your God wherever you want, you tell your God what you want, and the God has to perform for you. So you're really the master of your God. That's idolatry. You are the master of the God. The God is the, not the master of you. That's interesting. And so therefore, what happened is, Yitro, he got disillusioned. Yitro got disillusioned of his idolatry. Yitro was the priest of idolatry in Midian. He got disillusioned, and he starts thinking, I want to do Teshuvah. I want to find the real God. He's searching and searching who is the real God until he came to the same conclusion by his own studies, same conclusion as Abraham. Abraham Avinu, our forefather, Yitro is very similar in a sense. He was surrounded by idolatry. He was a priest of idolatry. He knows it's all garbage. He finds out it's bunk. And at great personal cost, which we're going to talk about, great personal cost, he was put in harem by his society. They put him in, uh, what's today they in English, say they say, put him in Coventry, they would speak to him, and no one would be a, a shepherd for his flocks. No one wanted to um, associate with Yitro, and that's why his own daughters had to be his shepherds. Can you imagine? His own daughters had to look after his flocks, which is very highly unusual in those days, unless a person was really poor. You see, Yitro was not so poor. Yitro could afford shepherds, but no one wanted to be hired by Yitro. No one wanted to associate with Yitro. And, and but he really wanted to do teshuva. And when he met Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu talks to him about his belief system. And f- firmly, Yitro accepts one God. Yitro accepts our God. And Yitro, it says, was also one of the advisors of, of Pharaoh. Pharaoh had three advisors. We all know Yitro, Bilam, and Job. Job. Yitro, Bilam, and Job. Yitro says. Don't harm the Jewish people. Bilam says, kill them. And Job kept quiet. And that's why Job had to suffer. Job had to scream. His, his payment for keeping quiet was he had to scream. But Yitro was the one who was pro-Israel before that. Before he became a Jew, you already see his, his tragic uh, trajectory. Yitro is going a certain path. Yitro knows Judaism is the right place to be. Israel is the right place to be. Don't hurt Jews. That's number one priority. Don't hurt the Jews. And that's a number one priority Yitro knew. He told Pharaoh, don't hurt the Jews. And Pharaoh didn't listen to him. Pharaoh listened to Bilam, which we're going to talk about some other time. Uh, so Yitro is on this pathway to becoming Jewish. And a clincher was when he met Moshe Rabbeinu. He kept Moses. He marries Moshe off to his daughter, Sipporah. And interesting, 
And he marries another daughter of the Elazar, the son of Aaron. He has two daughters married to the top echelons of the Jewish people. Amazing story of success. And we know his great-grandson sat in the Sanhedrin. So Yitro was one of the successful Gerim, the, probably the prototype of the successful Gerim. Yitro is surrounded by his culture. They try and uh, they put him in Kherim, we said. They didn't want to speak to him. They didn't want to associate with him. He, doesn't, he withstands all these trials. Uh, the rabbis say in Midrash, the Midrash says, Amru, they said, He never left a single idolatry in the whole world that he didn't try. He tried everything. Because he wanted the truth. He went through this hard, long process and eventually gets the truth and he gets to one God. He gets this idea of one God and not because he jumped at it, not because emotionally he was overcome. He didn't make a snap decision. He worked hard. He worked hard. And finally, he sees the miracles of the plagues. He sees the miracles of the splitting of the sea. He sees the miracles of fighting Amalek, how they beat Amalek. Ataya Dati says, now I know. What I already knew, I know now for certain. This is the right place to be. So he is the one who came, the true convert, the Midrash calls him in Tanhuma, in Pasha Yitro, one of the true converts we had, Pasha Yitro. So Yitro, the Torah says, the father-in-law of Moses, the minister of Midian, the Kohen of Midian, the minister of idolatry in the past, he changed and he comes to the desert. He comes to the desert and he heard, Yitro heard, by Yishmael Yitro, we're going to talk about. How come he's the only one who came from everyone else who heard these miracles. Yitro heard, and Yitro came. Remember that. Yitro heard, Yitro came, and he was the father of Moshe, and he hears everything that Hashem did to Moshe and Israel. He took, uh, Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, and Yitro comes with Moshe Rabbeinu's wife, who Moshe had left in, in Midian, and all his two, his two sons, Gershom and Eliezer, and he brings them to Moshe, and Moshe comes out to greet him. He gets a terrific reception. Moshe comes out. If Moshe comes out, says Aaron came out. Aaron came out. Seventy elders came out. Seventy elders came out. All Bnei Israel came out to greet Yitro. Yitro got, got this tremendously amazing reception in the desert. This is our reception to a true convert. A true convert is hailed. We hail a true convert. We know how hard it is. You know, uh, Jews always accepted converts. Until we were forced not to. People don't realize that. In the Middle Ages, Jews could not accept converts. Um, the convert could be killed. The Christians, if they saw a convert, they heard of a convert, they killed the convert. He was burnt at the stake. There's a famous book, Abraham ben Abraham. Abraham ben Abraham, Abraham, the son of Abraham. A famous convert at the time of the Roman Gaon, who was originally a Christian, uh, one of the counts in Poland. A count, right? a count converted to Judaism. And he hid for many years as a Jew, practicing Jew with many years. He hid in a synagogue somewhere until eventually they caught him. The Christians caught him and they killed him. They burnt him at the stake. And an amazing story. You've got to find the story. Abraham ben Abraham, Abraham ben Abraham, called himself. And so that's true conversions. And for many years, weren't allowed to convert. If, you, if a Muslim converts to a Jew, again, he's, he's liable, death penalty, and Sharia law. There's no way to convert to a Jew for anyone. 
And that's why for many years, for hundreds of years, thousands of years, there was no conversions to Judaism, very few conversions to Judaism. And But before that, prior to that, there were conversions to Judaism. A lot of people converted to Judaism in the time of King Solomon. In fact, the rabbis were concerned. There were so many converts to Judaism in the time of King David, King Solomon, that they stopped them. They tried to stop conversion. Because you don't convert to Judaism when things are bad, when things are good. If you convert to Judaism when things are good, because you want to be part of Israel, this strong military country with great wisdom, and you want success financially, uh, that's not a good conversion. That's not a good conversion. Conversion is, I want the spirituality. I want to be close to God. And that's Yitro. That's why Yitro, this parasha is named after Yitro. So Yitro comes, and Rashi says over here, by Yitro, he heard what happened, Kriyat Yamsuf, he heard he heard the, uh, the, uh, the study of the Red Sea, Ritzi. He heard the war with Amalek, and he came. And Yitro came, and Yitro had seven names. Ruel, Yeter, Yitro, Chovav, Chever, Kini, and Putiel. Seven names Yitro had. Uh, but the word Yitro could also mean the additional name or additional parasha that was added in the Torah for him. And that was named, He was named Yitro after his conversion. Okay. And that's what Yerashi says, Hashem Shieter Parasha Akhat Torah. One extra parasha was made in the Torah especially for him. In other words, the Ten Commandments would have been a different parasha. Here there's a specifically one parasha, a new parasha was made in the Torah for Yitro. We call Yitro, the name after him. Amazing, amazing honor this man got because he's a true convert. He's a true believer, a true lover of God. He came, he tried everything, and he came to the conclusion that this is the one God, this is the God, this is the one God I want to follow. Anyway, so interesting. So let's move on. Who is this man, Yitro? So he was a former priest to idolatry, tried all these idolatries, and he came inside. This is the one God. Okay. Okay, let's move on. We are moving on. So we talked about Yitro, we talked about uh, Hagar, we talked about uh, Eliezer. Now, there are four things for a foreign convert to do. One of the four things is there's a mikvah. The convert has to go to a mikvah before being accepted as a convert. Number two is a male. He has to go through a pretty large circumcision, a special ritual circumcision, not just going to a doctor. It's going to be a ritual circumcision in front of the din. Number three is he's got to accept all the mitzvot. That's the hardest part of being a convert to Judaism is to accept 613 mitzvot and to commit oneself to fulfilling the precepts of Judaism. Number four, which we don't have today, is a convert when the temple is rebuilt, has to put down in a diary, I have to bring a korban, I have to bring a sacrifice, a small sacrifice when the temple is rebuilt, which we don't have today. But that doesn't stop the convert from being a legitimate convert. So today, convert's convert, there's no sacrifice, there's no korban, but eventually there will be, but it's still a proper convert. But he's got to remember, she's got to remember that when the temple is rebuilt, amen, amen, third temple, then he'll have to bring his um, his uh, sacrifice. Okay. We are moving on. So the Chumash now enters a new phase. Slowly becomes a book of laws. Okay, It was a book of history, Breshit, Genesis, then it's penis, slowly coming down to Noah and his family, and it's coming down to Abraham and his family. It's a book of stories. Breshit, Genesis is a book of stories. Um, there's only two mitzvot in the book of Breshit. And one is the Pruravu, have children. Number two is Brit Milah. Oh, number, number three, Kira Nashe. Three mitzvot, the whole book of Genesis, three mitzvot, which are number one is Pruravu, have children. 
which are mitzvah given to Adam, but also applies to the Jews, applies to all humanity, in fact, who have children. Number two is Brit Milah applies to Jews, Abraham's descendants. Ramam says all Abraham's descendants, including the Bnei Keturah, the sons from Hagar, the children from Hagar, also Brit Milah. And number three is Gidhan Hashem, which is the, the sciatic nerve, which is because the angel hit Jacob, our forefather, Yaakov, in his thigh and made him lame. So we don't eat, since that time, the Torah tells us, we don't eat the sciatic nerve. So that was a previous Mishnah, a mitzvah, a previous mitzvah going back all the time to the time of Jacob and his sons, that they kept this mitzvah of not eating the Gidhan Hashem. Okay, I'm moving on. So slowly, this book, of stories becomes a book of law. So a book of Shemot is the fulfillment of the covenant that God made to Abraham. It starts off with Hashem tells Abraham, your descendants will be slaves in a foreign land and I will bring them out with tremendous booty. Well, this has taken place in this in the book of Shemot, the early stages, the early parashiot of the book of Shemot. Uh, for Shemot, Bo, B'Shalach, Vaera, uh, Bo, B'Shalach, and uh, so it's four parashiot deal with the coming out of Egypt. And now we're moving on to the law stage. Well, Parashat uh, B'Shalach also has the end of the Parashat B'Shalach has a few mitzvot. But over here we have the law stages where the Torah starts becoming more into a book of commandments, a book of law. So, so it's interesting how the Torah puts the laws together. It doesn't just give you a dry laws like a book of law, American law, English law. Um, it's it's a, it's laws interspersed with stories. That's what makes it readable for the masses. How do you make the law readable for the masses? Just like the Talmud, Talmud also does the same thing. It gives you some halachot, discusses these uh, very intricate uh, details of some laws, and then it gives you a story. It keeps you entertained, and it has to keep you entertained. Otherwise, person loses. Just like a good rabbi, you know, Rabbi Avadi Yosef, whenever he would give a shear, he would always throw in some stories, anecdotes just to cheer people up, so keep them entertained, and also to give them the, infuse the knowledge into them. So if a person not entertained, they don't listen. That's very simple. It's always good to start off with jokes and some kind of stories, and then people start listening. Otherwise, people don't listen. They turn, they tune out, they tune out. Our, our attention span is very low anyway, but if we don't hear these stories, we just tune out and we don't listen. So anyway, so it's good to listen. So Yitro came. Yitro came. And he was the, we talked about the, uh, he was the convert. Let's go now to the laws. We'll go straight to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, but really they're more than Ten Commandments. They're always called Ten Commandments. This is not a Jewish belief. It's a Christian belief that they're Ten Commandments. People don't realize that. It's a Christian belief that Ten Commandments. The Torah calls them Ten Sayings. It doesn't call them Ten Commandments. The Rambam lists 14 commandments. So I'm going to go through them very quickly and then we'll go through them more in detail because we have a, another half hour or so, 20 minutes. So talk about it. Okay. So number one, in a recent survey carried out by Mari newspaper in Israel, the following startling statistics were revealed. 88% of the Israeli population do not remember all the Ten Commandments. 25% had difficulty even recording one commandment. So 25% of the 88% had difficulty even recalling one commandment. Okay, 40% do not know what the five books of Moses are. They ask people, what are the Hamishachum Shetorah? Tell me the names of the Hamishachum Shetorah. Breshit, Genesis, Shemot, uh, Exodus, Va'era, uh, Va'yikra, Leviticus, um, and uh, 
Leviticus and Bamidbar, Numbers and Devarim Deuteronomy. So five books of Moshe, we have to know the names. And the Ten Commandments we're going to discuss right now. One of the Ten Commandments, really, the Torah does not use the word Ten Commandments. It says, Aseret HaDevarim, the Ten Sayings. Remember that. It's not Ten Commandments, it's Ten Sayings. Some of these sayings are long sayings, and we're going to talk about that. The saying of Shabbat is four or five lines, and uh, sayings, uh, a couple of, uh, for the second commandment, a few sayings, it's two commandments. So some of these commandments, some of these sayings are uh, broken up into a few commandments. That's what you have to remember. It's not Ten Commandments. It's not a Jewish concept. Ten Commandments does not exist. Fourteen commandments, we call them the Ten Sayings. So, fourteen commandments as, as follows. This is the, according to the Rambam, Number one, to believe in the existence of one indivisible, invisible, unchanging God. Now, this is not exact. Why? I'm uh, sort of paraphrasing because the Torah is very, very succinct. In this mitzvah, the mitzvah is Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am the Lord your God, Hashem says. Hashem took you out of the land of Egypt, the land of slavery. So Hashem is announcing his presence. In fact, there's a big discussion over here among the authorities. Is this a mitzvah or is this an introduction? Rambam says it's a mitzvah. I'm going to go according to Rambam, but there are other philosophers and other Jewish authorities who say this is not a mitzvah. This is an intro. I am the Lord your God, Hashem says. Believe in the existence of me, Hashem says. I am the Lord your God. We're going to talk about that. I'm going through it very briefly and then I'm going to go back. Number two. Don't believe in any other God, God says. Don't believe in any other God except me. Number three, do not make any shapes or forms which are worshipped. We're not allowed to have any idolatries, any forms which are going to be worshipped. Number four, not to bow down to any idolatry. Number five, not to serve any idolatry in its normal way of service. There are different ways of service of idolatries. It could be very, very strange, very bizarre. But if a person serves the idolatry the way it's normally served, a person who transgresses this mitzvah, number five. Number six, don't take an oath containing God's name falsely. Don't take a false oath. Number seven, to sanctify the Sabbath with words, which is what we do every Friday night, Kiddush. That's sanctifying the Shabbat with words. Ramam said at the beginning of Shabbat, make Kiddush, and at the end of the Shabbat. We don't consider it Kiddush, we call it Havdalah, but it's a kind of Kiddush. We are sanctifying the Shabbat on the way out. We sanctify the Shabbat on the way in. We sanctify the Shabbat on the way out. Kiddush and Havdalah is a mitzvah, number seven. Number eight, not to perform creative forms of work on Shabbat. Number nine, to honor one's parents. Number 10, not to shed innocent blood. Number 11, not to commit adultery. Number 12, not to kidnap, which is, people don't know that. It's known steal. People always say, don't steal. No, it's not stealing. It's stealing a person. Stealing a person and using that person as a slave. Stealing a person, kidnapping, and using them as a slave. In those days, imagine they would kidnap people, free people, and, and brand them, and then sell them as a slave. That's the worst thing you do some human being, a free person, you take it, you make it to a slave. Number 13, not to bear false witness, we know. Number 14 is not to covet, not to desire, the Torah says in, in the Varim, when it repeats this mitzvah, there's two, okay, there's the repetition of the, of the Ten Commandments, or Ten Sayings later on in the Torah, in Parshat Vayit Hanan. It gets very, very technical. I'm not going to go into all the technical details. And so not to convert one's neighbor's property, one's neighbor's wife, one's neighbor's belongings, 
anything that belongs to one's neighbor. Very, very important. I want to talk a bit about the first mitzvah. So we have a question. The question is like this. The, the Pirkei Avot, we all know, Pirkei Avot, the famous Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Sinai, Pirkei Avot says, you will do, make his will your will. Make his will your will. This is in Pirkei Avot, chapter 2, Mishnah 4, make his will like your will. What does that mean? Make his will like your will. So I saw Rabbi Victor Miller discusses this, and he says, there's a, big, there's a, a debate. Are the Torah mitzvot? Is the Torah mitzvot? What is the Torah? Okay, so you have commandments part of the Torah, you have the stories part of the Torah. What else is there? He says the Torah is the way God thinks. Now, this is a very interesting idea. That he says, Anuchi Hashem I'm the Lord your God. What does that mean? Okay, Hashem is one. We know we are God to the side of Egypt, the power of God. God is invisible. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere. He's above time. But what else does it mean? Does it mean anything else? So he says, we say every day, Rabbi Akasha, Rabbi Hanania ben Akasha, Amir, Rasach, Hadush, Baruch, Lourdes, Akudisha. Rabbi Hanania ben Akasha, one of the great rabbis in the Talmud, he says, Hashem wanted to increase merit for the Jewish people. How do you increase merit for the Jewish people? By giving us more Torah and more mitzvot. In other words, the Torah and mitzvot should not be looked at as a burden, even though they are a burden. They should be looked upon as an opportunity. Hashem gave us opportunities for growth. You have to realize that. The Torah and mitzvot are opportunities for us, for growth and for reward in the next world. For growth, uh, spiritual growth, and opportunities for reward in the next world. So that's, that's, that's very important to realize that, that the mitzvot, the Torah, are opportunities for us. They are lifelines for us. Hashem is giving us, sending us lifelines. How to run your life in the best possible most spiritual, most rewarding way possible. And that is the life of Torah mitzvot. And we have to understand that. Torah mitzvot are a life in the most rewarding, in the most satisfactory, the most pleasurable. People don't realize that. The Torah is all about pleasure. It's about pleasure, which is restricted in a sense to give you more pleasure. Because if you could do anything you want at any time of the day, you wouldn't have pleasure. You get to the point where everything is you're sick of life. You see that people, today people are sick of life because they do everything. They've tried everything. Nothing brings them satisfaction. The Torah can bring us satisfaction. How? Because it gives us something, a missing ingredient. And that missing ingredient is spirituality. The Torah is a vehicle to spirituality that nothing is like it. There's no other ingredient that gives a person spirituality like the Torah. You know, it's interesting. When I remember the days I was in Yeshiva when I was a young boy, Leaving the yeshiva, you feel the sweetness of the Torah. When you hear, you know, today I was at the Beit Midrash. You've got to sit in the Beit Midrash. You go into the Beit Midrash, the house of study. You hear the words of Torah around you, and you're enveloped by Torah. It's, it's such a spiritual experience. It really is to hear. It's like you're in the ocean. You're hearing the waves. You're hearing the spiritual waves of Torah. It's amazing. So Hashem gave us, he wanted to increase our merits. So he gave us more Torah and more mitzvot to increase our merits. But there's a separate, so there's a separate branch of doing, and there's a separate branch of thinking. The Torah is not just telling us what to do. It's trying to train us also in how our minds should work. Now, this is a very famous Sefer HaChinuch, which I have right here. Sefer HaChinuch, in his introduction, says, and this is a brand new field of psychology, maybe 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, max. 
called behavior modification. It's a field of psychology today. The great psychologists came to the same conclusion as God did before he created man. If you want to change the way a person thinks, you don't try and change the way they think. You try and change the way they behave. Because the way they behave eventually will affect the way they think. So the way we behave, that affects, that's the most effective way of changing the way a person thinks, is to change their behavior. So behavior modification, we know, and that's something which we have to always remember in, in respect to ourselves as well. Things we do affect the way we think. Things we, they, you know, the things we eat affect the way we think and act. And things we act affect the way we think. So a person acts cruelly, they'll become cruel people. And that is the hard part of sending soldiers to the war. And they don't get infected and become cruel themselves. That's why a Jewish butcher, a shochet, has to be on a very high spiritual level. So he doesn't get affected by what he does. But that's a, a very, very important point. The point is the Torah is all about actions which lead to the way a person thinks. A person's got a way of thinking. There's a pattern of thinking that the ideology of the Torah, that people don't really talk about much, the ideology of the Torah, how to think as a Torah Jew. How should a person think as a Torah Jew? And the only way to think as a Torah Jew is by imbibing the Torah and thinking, how does the Torah think? How does God think? What would God do in this, in this situation? What does God like? We all know. God likes, he likes ethics. And he likes morals. And he likes justice. God likes ethics. He likes morals. And he likes justice. And he likes tzedakah. He likes charity. He likes giving. He likes giving. Those are things that God likes. And we can think like God. How do we think like God? I want to like what God likes. And God hates evil. God hates wickedness. God hates immorality. We have to learn how to hate these things as well. So we have to love things God loves. We have to love sensitivity to people. We have to love treating people with respect. We have to love the things that God loves. Love your friend as yourself. That's what God loves. That's what God wants. That's what God wants righteousness. God wants spirituality. God wants goodness. God wants everything except for evil and immorality and idolatry. Those three things we have to keep away from. So evil in speech, evil in behavior, evil in thoughts, evil in action. So different kinds of evil... Those are the things we have to keep away from. That's the way God thinks, and that's the way we should think. I want to be on a level where I can think like God thinks. I want the same things that God wants. That's what Torah is trying to train us at. These are things that God wants, and these are things God does not want. And it's very high. It's a very high moral code. The Torah is an extremely high moral code, and it's very hard to keep to that moral code until a person makes it part of their being. It's so hard for a person to make it part of their being. So a person who is raised from childbirth obviously has an advantage because it's already part of their, their behavior from an early age. Like my mother trained me to brush my teeth every day. You know, I have to thank her. Thank you, mom. Allah, for teaching me a small thing like brushing my teeth every day, but not just brushing my teeth every day, every other thing that she taught me. The morality, the ethics that she taught me, which I learned from an early age, not to lie, not to cheat, not to steal. These are things that, you know, we take for granted because we were raised like that early age. Don't take it for granted. But that's the things that Hashem loves. These are things that Hashem loves. Not to be evil, not to be a cheat, not to be a crook, not to be a liar, not to be a robber, not, not to do bad things, not to be evil, not to be immoral. And that's the, that's the purpose of the Torah, teach you how to think. To think, how do, how do people think like God thinks? I want to be 
I want to think like God thinks. This is a very important idea that people don't even know about. That when we learn Torah, this is what we should be thinking. The Torah is teaching us what God likes and what God doesn't like. And we have to learn to love what God likes, and we have to learn to love to hate what God doesn't like. That's a very important idea. Okay, so Anochi uh, Hashem. So now we have to understand that you have to know me, Hashem says. I am the Lord your God. You have to know me. You should get to know me. So on the lowest level, it means you have to believe in me. You have to, but Rambam says it's not just enough to believe, because belief is 90%. I believe that God exists. No, belief is not belief. Rambam says it's knowledge. You have to know that God exists. It's not enough to believe that God exists. You have to know that God exists. And then we have to try and get to know God. And that is the hard part. We have to try and know Hashem. How do you try and know Hashem? And the answer is the only way, the only one way. And that is by seeing, this actually Ramam says there's two ways. By looking at God's creation and trying to figure out God's mind by looking at his creation. Why did God create this? How did God create this? The amazing ecology, the amazing environment, the amazing beauty, the amazing greatness of God's creations. Look around the world. Look at, look at nature. Study nature and come to the conclusion of God's greatness. You can know God in, in a certain sense after there. But then to know God's mind, you have to learn Torah. There's no other way of learning God's mind until you learn Torah. And Hashem says, makes it even harder. In Prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 8, you have to look this up. My mind is not like your mind. I don't think the same way as you think. So this is our labor. Our labor, our, our striving should be, I want to think. And right now, I don't think like God thinks. I want to think like God thinks. How do I figure out what God wants? And the answer is, by learning Torah, you can think what God thinks. You can learn what God wants. And that is very important. So, Bereshit Barayrokim, God says, I create the world. It's not just a fact. It's not a story, a piece of information. It's a peek into Hashem's mind. You know, Hashem says, I could have managed by myself. Very, in fact, Hashem could have, I didn't have to create. I want to create, not because I need to create. I want to create in order to give. I created something to give to. That's, some, that's the first thing we have to understand. As Jews, we read the Torah, we have to understand it's not just enough to be a God, to be a mini-God. A human being is a mini-God. We have to create in order to give. That's why we have children. We create in order to give. We follow in the path of God. And it's interesting. Okay, so I'm not going to go into this anymore because it's very involved. But it's interesting, this idea, it's not just enough that it's for, it's the ideology. It's the ideology of the Torah that we have to imbibe. And part of the ideology is to act like Hashem, and know Hashem, and think like Hashem. Okay, I'm going to move on to, it's a number two. We're not allowed to think or believe in any other God. So everything is not allowed in terms of other gods, even a shituf, even a partnership, saying that there's a one God, there's a real God. And then he joined with other gods, like a trinity. That's not allowed for Jews. We're not allowed to believe in any kind of partnership of gods. There's no partnership of God. Even though our God is part of that partnership, no, not allowed. Number three. We have to know that this myth applies to everyone not to make idols. So we're not allowed to make idols. And the rabbis were even stricter not to make anything three-dimensional, even images of people. If it's three-dimensional, you want to make a big statue of a human being, it's got to be missing parts. It can't be a completely 3D whole 
um, a statue because it may lead to idolatry. So it's very important. People want to do art, they have to realize not not to make a three-dimensional object, a complete object, anything in the the heavens or the sky, any creatures, any animals, any people. It could be something which is totally like a modern art. Doesn't mean anything, but if it's something that exists, we don't have to make three-dimensional images from the rabbis. So that okay, we don't have idolatry. Thank God, we don't have idolatry. Uh, Judaism fought against idolatry for many centuries. Hopefully, it's been eradicated, except in certain parts of the world. I'm not going to go into it. Um, we are moving on, not to serve idolatry in the way it's served. Even though, say, there's a there's a stone called the Marcudis, a very strange. Uh, idea the ancients had, which is still being done in Saudi Arabia. There's a stone in Saudi Arabia. And the way of serving the stone is by throwing stones at it. So that's called the Marcudis, very ancient uh, pagan idol. So a Jew says, you know what, what fun, everyone's throwing stones at the idol. I want to throw a stone at the idol. He throws the stone at the idol, he transgressed this law of worshipping an idol the way it's normally worshipped. So it's a, if the way it's normally worshipped, you're not allowed to do it. It's a different kind of idol which is served by giving it food and you throw a stone at it, there's no problem. But if it's an idol which is served by throwing stones at it, you can't throw stones at it. Okay, we're moving on. Not to take oaths, false oaths. Very important. The person goes to court. In Jewish courts, you make a take an oath. They used to, at least not anymore. Uh, certain things have to take an oath. There's different oaths, which are three oaths, which are from the Torah. And the person says, you know, the judge says in the court, the Dayan says, take this oath. And they would take an oath holding onto a Sefer Torah, the Talmud says. It was a very serious thing. They would dim the lights, beat the drums to scare people, and the guy would take an oath. Uh, obviously, the Torah does not recommend taking oaths. We don't take God's name lightly. So, it, so most people just pay the money and not take the oath. I'd rather pay the money and not take the oath. That's a tzaddik. And he's a chassid, actually, a pious person. would pay the money and not take the oath. So to take a false oath, that's taking God's name in vain. Don't swear uh, a false oath with God's name. And not to do, uh, sorry, to make Kiddush. Make Kiddush, we said, in the morning and in the evening of Shabbat, which is the Kiddush of Friday night. That's when our day starts. The, the seventh day of the week starts on Friday night. Make Kiddush. That Kiddush is a mitzvah from the Torah. When a person says the words, you have to think, I'm doing the mitzvah from the Torah. When you listen to the words, yeah, a person who listens is like a person who's saying it. Make sure you have in mind, I am fulfilling the mitzvah from the Torah of remembering the Sabbath to keep it holy. That's Kiddush. And Friday night when Shabbat comes in, the rabbis made this Kiddush on wine. Wine became a big thing. The rabbis instituted wine in different areas of our lives. When you get married, there's a cup of wine. In fact, there's two cups of wine. Uh, and when you have Shabbat Brachot, there's a cup of wine. And when there's a brief, there's a cup of wine to name the baby, and uh, there's always cups of wine everywhere. The rabbis <laughs> try to put cups of wine. What's the wine for? So Kiddush has wine. Havdalah, as we said, is a reverse kind of Kiddush. You're sanctifying Shabbat when it leaves. That's a mystery from the Torah, according to Rambam. And we do that by words, but it's on a cup of wine from the rabbis. The rabbis said that people cannot focus. And that's true today, even worse. People cannot focus. We're going to give people something to focus on. What are we going to give people something to focus on? It's hard to focus on words. We're going to put something in front of them that people love. What is that? A cup of wine. You put the cup of wine over there, oh, it becomes so important. So the whole ceremony becomes takes on some significance, some importance. And even uh, the Beit and the Sanhedrin, when they would uh, decide who's going to live, who's going to die, 
the verdict was on a cup of wine, and that's where the custom of saying Lachaim came from. Because the cup of wine was for the verdict, life or death, they would ask the rabbis and the, the court, Sabri Maranan, what is the verdict, rabbis? And the verdict was either Lachaim or Levita. So we say Lachaim. Say a cup of wine, it's always Lachaim. It should always be for life. Whereas the significance of the wine is to focus people's minds on whatever they're doing, not to do work on the Shabbat, another mitzvah, negative mitzvah, to keep Shabbat. How do you keep Shabbat? By not breaking the negative commandments of Shabbat. And we'll have to talk about some other time. Honor one's parents, long life. One of the mitzvahs, long life. Honor one's parents. Don't contradict their words. Don't sit in their place. Uh, help them, feed them, clothe them if they need help. Whatever they need, whatever their parents need, it depends on what they need. Give them whatever they need, whatever they help. Help them whatever you can. Not to kill innocent people, which is don't murder. It doesn't say don't kill. It says don't murder someone. Don't kill innocent people. Uh, not to be immoral. This is a very fundamental something which we see God hates morality. Not to kidnap. We talked about, and this is something that the Hamas did to us. They kidnapped our precious ones. That's right, Hashem, Hashem, in the merit of this parasha should redeem all of our, our captives and to save all our soldiers. Uh, not to give false witness, very, very important. whole society falls down on false witness. If it's false witness, it's a lie, and it's a uh, testimony. It's like uh, seeing about the International Criminal Court, uh, and President Herzog, whatever he said was taken totally out of context. They, they, it's false witness, totally false witness, and other things as well that they false witness. So don't give false witness in a court and not to covet, which is the roots of all evil, leads to robbery and uh, so not to be jealous of people. Try and be a happy person. We would all, in the merit of this parasha, uh, learn to be happy with what we have. Always try and be happy. We have to count our blessings every day, which is what our day starts off with. The first word we utter every day is modeh, and let's be people with gratitude, an attitude of gratitude, that's the last of the mitzvot in the, in the 14 commandments, don't covet, and the way of not being jealous is by thanking God for what we have, always count what we have, Baruch Hashem, things could always be worse, but things could also be better, we pray that things will always be better, you've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com